Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm, the 13th chapter, I want to speak to you today on the topic that God is good all the time. I don't know about you, but as I was coming through Thanksgiving, I love watching on Friday. I don't go shopping on Friday, but I love surfing the internet and watching crazy people do crazy things. I think I saw a couple of our deacons fighting over on a TV this past, this past Friday. And I tell you, I, I, watch, I watch these people and I'm just, I'm dumbfounded. Why in the world are people doing this to save a hundred bucks on a TV, right? And, and they're fighting and, and all of this is going on. And, and, and we think about our world and, and what's going on in our world. And man, there's a lot of stuff going on in our world, isn't there? There's, there's a lot of stuff. And maybe you're experiencing a lot of stuff in your own life. You know, we've been singing about it here today that, that we will not fear that, that God uh, is true. He's, he is uh, here always and he is here to protect us. He's here to walk with us. And, but there are times in our life that we experience very hard things that, that cause us to, to see and to picture and, and to think that God has somehow moved. I don't know about you, but in my own life, there are times when I, I'm praying, I'm like, God, where are you at? I, I, I'm praying, and I, I feel like God is, is, is far, far, far away, and he's not hearing my prayers. As a pastor, that happens to me, and, and I'm almost sure that it's going to happen to you as well. But there in life are spiritual highs, but there's also spiritual lows. And there are many things that, that contribute to the spiritual highs and the spiritual lows. But I, I want to introduce you to a man by the name of David, David, who wrote the 13th Psalm, uh, he experienced these highs and he experienced these lows, but ultimately he began to say that God is good all the time. I want to welcome those who are here worshiping with us, those who are worshiping online. Uh, thank you for being here today with us. In a time of desperation, David wrote Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is a psalm of desperation. It's written from a heart of a man who uh, things were not working the way they were supposed to be working. There was chaos, kind of like a Black Friday shopping experience at Walmart, chaos. Kind of like refugee from Syria, chaos. Kind of like planes being shot down from the sky, terrorists, where are they, chaos. Lives being shaken up, Spouses walking out, saying, I don't love you anymore, losing our job, chaos. Have you ever been there? Spiritual highs, we all want to live there, but oftentimes we don't live on the spiritual mountaintops. We are down in the valleys, and we're, we're going through life in ups and downs. And so David, here's a man who God said, here's a man after my own heart. And here's a man who experienced the deepest lows that a person could experience. Psalm 13 is a psalm of desperation. It seemed like everything in his life was falling apart. Saul the king, let's set the stage, Saul the king was very, very jealous of David's popularity. David had killed the giant. People were screaming, Saul has killed his hundreds, but David has killed his thousands. And King Saul was, was raving with jealousy within his heart about this kid, this little kid named David, and he was trying to kill him. David had been avoiding death, and, and he, he, he even had to leave behind his closest friend, Jonathan, who, by the way, was the son of the man who was trying to kill him, Saul. 
So David, trusting the Lord, doing what God had told him to do, now finds himself outside of the Dead Sea in a little oasis called Engedi, hiding in the caves of Engedi and trying to save his own life. He writes Psalm 13 out of desperation. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. Psalm 13. David cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? God, you are far way off. How long are you going to hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes as I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Father, I pray that your word will speak to hearts and lives today. People whose lives are in chaos. People who are living the roller coaster. God, give us truth from your word that will help us to walk through this thing called life. We ask this in Christ's name and all of God's people said. Please be seated. We see that, that man's desperation is God's opportunity. This is a truth that we see over and over and over again through Scripture. It's also the truth that we see over and over and over again in life, that, that, that it's through man's desperation that God provides an opportunity. When, when we come to the lowest point in our desperation, that is when it provides God an opportunity. Oftentimes, when we're on the mountaintops, we know it all. When we're on the mountaintops, we're not seeking God's face, but it's in those valleys, it's in those points of desperation that we're looking to God and saying, God, speak to my life. Desperation, man's desperation, that times of desperation provide opportunity for God to work in our life. It's when we're at our wits end that we most often clearly see God working in our lives. The problem is, however, that before God begins to deal with our situation, he wants to deal with us. Before God wants to take care of the situation that we're in, he wants to deal with us. How many times do we see the Apostle Paul praying over and over and over again, God, change my heart. God, do something in my life. Not change my situation, but change my heart. See, here's a man who understood that, that, that God works through situations and, 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 and God changes our heart through situations and God is more concerned about our heart than he is about our situations. We want him to fix our circumstances, but he wants to transform our character. We want him to take care of our, our situation, but he wants to change us. Now, don't get the idea that God doesn't care about the problems that we're in. Yes, God cares about the problems we're in. But more than the problem that you're in, more than the situation you find yourself, God cares so much more, friend, about you and about your heart. That's why over these 50 days of prayer and fasting, I've been challenging the church to find your place of service, to, to plug in, because you see, it, it, it's a heart issue. It's a matter of a heart and when we come to the place in our life when we realize, okay, this is a heart issue and, and God may put situations in my life to bring me closer to him, we begin to think and look at events differently. We want to treat the symptom. He wants to treat the illness. A couple of weeks ago, I got food poisoning. 
had no idea you get food poison from an onion. But it happened to me. I went to Dr. Wally, and, and Dr. Wally said, so give me something, Dr. Wally, to make this illness go away. And he laughed. He said, Wes, I can only treat the symptom. I said, with all of this medical technology that we have, there's no special little pill that I can take to make all of this. And he said, no. Only treat the symptoms. And that's how we walk through life. We're not too concerned with the problem, the root problem. We're going to get to the root problem in just a moment. We're just praying. Oftentimes, if you listen to your prayer, we're not praying, God, take care of the problem. We're asking God, God, take care of the symptoms. Let's just let the symptoms surpass. And, and God is not worried about taking care of the symptoms. God's concern is taking care of the problem. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Point number one, God is good all the time. How do we, how do we, how should we live when we feel like our world is collapsing? How should we live when we feel like when I'm praying, God is a million miles away? First of all, tell God about your problems. David cried out, how long, O Lord? How long, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? David is, is, is in this cave, in this oasis of En hiding from Saul. He's crying out and he said, God, where are you? God, I'm praying to you. You're not answering me. Where are you? How long must I wrestle with these thoughts? Every day? Every night? How long shall my enemy triumph over me? Verse 2. You don't have to read the Psalms very long to realize that David, David freely poured out his heart to God whenever he wanted. In fact, it, it, it can even seem a little disrespectful. Four times in this verse, he said, how long, O oh Lord? How long, how long, how long? Hey, God, where are you at? Hey, God, when are you going to show up? Hey, God, can't you see what's happening to me? Where are you at? This is David's way of saying, God, can you hear me? Hey, God, where are you? I'm trying to get through to you. You see, David's not the only one in Scripture who cried out boldly to God. Moses did, Job did, Isaiah did, Paul did, Jesus did. And what I call the real Lord's Prayer, the, the, the prayer right before his crucifixion. Jesus is, is, is praying so intently, the Bible says he began to sweat great drops of blood. And he boldly stepped in front of the Father and he said, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. That's a bold prayer. That's a bold prayer. They all told God exactly what was on their heart, even though it wasn't very pleasant. Friend, don't you realize that God knows anyway? There's no sense in trying to hide your feelings when you come to God. That's what the Pharisees did, right? The, the Pharisees put on, their, put on their Sunday best or their Sabbath day best, and they, they walked around and acted like nothing's wrong. When they prayed, they prayed these high, lofty prayers, but that's not real life. Real life hurts. Real life has pain. Real life has valleys. And when we come to God, don't go to God fake. Don't go to God and say, well, God. No, you come to him just as you feel. Don't hide your feelings. Be honest with God. 
You see, you find solutions when you share your problems with God. There's a key right there. There's a key to overcoming the thought that God has forgotten you. Share your problems with him. David felt that God had forgotten him. Verse 1, he felt abandoned. Verse 2, he felt forsaken. Did he just give up? Did he say, well, I'm washing my hands of this God thing. I'm throwing this away. I'm going to go do my own thing. Is that what David did? No, David, he, he kept talking to God. Here's a principle. You find solutions when you share your problems with someone who's very close to you. Who's closer to you than God? The problem, the problem is sin. You say, now wait a minute. How is it David's sin? How is it David's fault that Saul was seeking his life? Notice I didn't say it was David's sin. The problem that we all face, the reason why we have valleys, the reason why we feel separated from God, the reason why bad things happen is because of sin, period. Maybe it's your sin. There are times in my life when, when I have sinned and it has caused, it's caused a break in relationship with God, that, that, God is, uh, that I had to repent of that sin and get back into right relationship with him. Sometimes it is my sin. But sometimes it's not my sin. Sometimes I find myself in the situation that David found himself in. David didn't do anything wrong. It was Saul's jealousy. Job didn't do anything wrong. Sin in general. The problem, the problem, the root problem is sin. When I hear people say, Pastor, when I pray, it feels like God's a million miles away. My first response is this. How long has it been since you've talked to God? How long has it been since you've been in his word? How long has it been since you've repented of sin? How long has it been since you've been living in his will? Because you see, I know in my own life, when I feel that God is a million miles away, I do, a, I do an inventory. I, I stop and I do a self-spiritual checkup. And you know what I find? But the reason why God is, feels like a million miles away, God hasn't moved. Your Bible says that God doesn't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. God does not move. So if God is where he's always been, and in this relationship, I feel very distant to God. If God's not moved, who in the relationship is the one that's moved? It's me. It's me. It's my fault. And so I have to come to the realization that I need to come to God, that I need to repent of my sin, or I need to get into his will, or maybe, just maybe, the result of this is, is something else that, that is not really my own doing, but still yet it has happened. Jealousy, Saul's jealousy to David. David couldn't change that. It wasn't David's heart problem. It was Saul's heart problem. However, God was using Saul's heart problem to impact David's life. Maybe, just maybe, God is allowing you to go through what you're going through. It's not your own sin. It's somebody else's sin. But he's allowing you to go through it to teach you something, to mold you, to shape you, 
It's wrong theology to think, well, if I'm, if, 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 if I'm under the judgment of God, it's because I've done something wrong. That's wrong theology. That's poor theology. You're sick because you've sinned or you're sick because you're not praying. That's not biblical. God allows things to happen in people's lives. Now, the root problem is sin. I think of Elijah, the prophet, my favorite uh, Bible character in the Bible, Elijah. Here's a man who stood in the face of all these prophets, these false prophets, up on top of Mount Carmel. And on top of Mount Carmel, there was a showdown on Mount Carmel, right? It was like the, the, the first UFC fight. I mean, they, they got their gloves on. They're ready to go at it, right? These, these prophets of Baal, they, they put their sacrifice on the altar, and the showdown was this. Who's ever God shows up and calls fire down from heaven and consumes a sacrifice, that is the God. That is the God who is the real God. The prophets of Baal said, hey, we got this. Baal is the fire God. <laughs> Who's Elijah think he is? We've got this one, guys. A minute turned into 10 minutes, 10 minutes turned into an hour, hour turned into several hours. These prophets of Baal, they, they got so worked up trying to call fire down from heaven, they began to cut themselves and they, they, they began to do all kinds of weird things. The whole time Elijah's sitting back there laughing. <laughs> he said, all right, guys, it's my turn. Take, my, take the sacrifice and cut it up into pieces. Put it on the altar and I want you to take buckets of water and I want you to pour water on that sacrifice. Can you imagine? You see, back then, it's the same principle, the same scientific principle that is in existence today that says wet things don't burn, right? Have you ever tried to burn wet wood? It doesn't burn. Wet things don't burn. And so Elijah is, is pouring this water on this sacrifice, so much water that it filled a, a valley, a trench that he had cut around the, 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 the place of the sacrifice, and Elijah simply stepped back. He said just one little simple prayer. God showed them that you are the Lord. Fire came from heaven, consumed that wet sacrifice. Not only did it consume the sacrifice, but it also consumed the stones. And not only consumed the stones, but also consumed the water that was in the ditch around it. Yay, God. Yay, God. Mountaintop experience for Elijah there, wouldn't you say? If anybody could say, hey, I told you so, it was that man at that moment, right? Literally saw fire come from heaven and consume a wet sacrifice and consume water. I've never seen fire consume water, but Elijah did. Then what happened? Elijah, dude, Jezebel's not going to be happy with you. What did that prophet do? He turned into a punk. He ran off Mount Carmel and he went down to a broom tree and he said, God, take my life. What? What in the world? Dude, you just saw literally fire come down from heaven. And now you're scared about this woman? Seriously? We laugh, but we do the same thing. We do the exact same thing. We see God show up and move in our life, and we're like, yay, God. There's, there's no other explanation for what just happened but God. And then something stupid comes in our life, and yes, I just said stupid from the pulpit. 
Something stupid comes into our life and we get focused on that stupid thing and we lose sight completely of God. And we're like, okay, God, just take me now. What? What's the problem? The problem is sin. We get our eyes off of the living God and we get our eyes on the problem. And this is what David was experiencing. David was so consumed with his enemies. But we understand we must come to God with our problems. Friend, realize that God will not be shocked if you tell him how you feel. If you're scared, tell him. If you're worried, tell him. If you're in fear, tell him. He's not going to be shocked. Why? Because he's experienced the same thing we experience. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way and to know uh, that it's known, but yet he has no sin, Hebrews 4.15. When you feel like God has forgotten you, realize, realize the problem is sin. Maybe your sin, maybe the sin of others. Come to God. Don't run away from God. Tell God your problems. Number two, ask God for help. Ask God for help. David said in verse three, look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. After David just poured out his heart to God, he, he, he's very irrational in verses one through two. He, he's just all over the place. He's in the valley and he's just expressing his heart. He's saying, God, here it is. And he just, he just let it all out. And that's what we should do. We come to God, we tell God our problems. But then he moved from, he moved from tears. He moved from tears and he, he, he's now moved from that and he's, he's moved on now. He, he, he was no, he's no longer so overwhelmed by emotion. He came to a powerful truth. I want you to notice right here, look in your Bible. Look at what he said, verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. I don't know if you know this about your Bible, but when you're looking at your Bible and you see that word Lord in all capital letters like that in the Old Testament, you see how it's written? L, big L, and then capital O-R-D, but a little smaller than the L, but still all capital letters. You know what that means? That's the covenant name for God. Anytime in the Old Testament you see Lord, and it's in all capital letters like that, it's, you're reading Hebrew. Everybody knows Hebrew now. Because that word in the Hebrew language is the word Yahweh. Or Jehovah. Every time you see Lord, and it's in all capital letters like that, it's the covenant name for God. What does Jehovah mean? What does Yahweh mean? It means the God of promise. He said, the Lord, Jehovah, my God. My God there is Elohim. Whenever you see the word God in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word Elohim. So he says, the Lord, my God. The Lord, my God. God. The Lord, Yahweh, the God, of, the, the God of promise, Elohim, means the God of power. The God of power. The God of creation power. Elohim is the word that was used for God in Genesis 1.1. Barashot bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. Elohim. Right there, the third word of the Bible in Genesis 1.1. Elohim, the, the great powerful creating God. And David here in verse three of Psalm 13 cries out, O Lord, Jehovah, the God of promise, my Elohim, the God who is powerful. What's he doing? 
He's not reminding God of anything, but he's reminding himself of something. He's reminding himself that God is powerful and God is powerful to sustain and to hold his promises. You see, years earlier in Psalm 13, where David finds himself hiding in the cave, a few years earlier, if you can rewind in the time of David, David was minding his own business out in the field, taking care of his dad's sheep. And here comes this prophet named Samuel. Samuel comes to the house of Jesse and says, God has told me to come to the house of Jesse and to anoint one of your sons as king. So Jesse does what any man would do. Well, you go to the firstborn son. He's the biggest, he's the oldest, he's the wisest. Samuel looks at him and goes, nope, that's not him. One by one goes to the sons of Jesse and he comes to the last one and he's like, no. And he goes, Jesse, do, do you, I know I heard from God. God told me to come here and to anoint one of your sons to be the next king, but these boys, the, these, these aren't it. Do you not have another son? And Jesse said, well, I've got one. He's, he's a little whippersnapper. He's, he's out in the field. He just hangs out with sheep all day. And Samuel said, show me where he is. He, he sent him on his way. He finds David out there in the field watching the sheep, this little, this little scrawny kid. And, and Samuel says, you are the one. He anoints David right there and says, you are going to be the next king. Now fast forward again. Now David is in the cave, fearful for his life, but yet he says in verse three, he goes from irrational prayer, verses one through two, and he comes to rational prayer in verses three and four, and he says, Lord, you have made me a promise. Lord, I remember the promise that you gave to me. And God, not only are you Elohim, the promise maker, but you are Jehovah and you have power. You are more powerful than anything that I know. And so you are powerful to maintain your promise. According to your word, God, you said I would rule Israel. So I don't need to worry about what's happening right now because your promises are always true. Hello, Christian. Wake up. God has given you many wonderful promises right here in his word, and you squander them. We're fearful, but the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. You're worried about some, uh, a person or something outside. The Bible says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. God has given you mighty, wonderful promises that you can claim. Trust him at his word. But we have to be very careful. Notice what else he says here, verse three. He prayed that God would give light to his eyes. What does that mean? You know what that means? David is saying, God, help me to understand, not from my vision, but give your light, your light to my eyes. Help me to realize that even though I may not understand why all of this is happening, help me to remember that your light shines and you know tomorrow even though I don't know the next second of my life. God, help me to understand that your will is perfect and my will is flawed. This is exactly how Jesus taught us to pray, right? Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, not my will, but what? Thine be done. This is exactly what David's doing. David is praying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, give light, your light, give your light to my eyes. 
let me see your goodness and your graciousness. And even if I don't understand it, I can rest certain that you're sovereign. As Job, Job didn't do anything wrong. David didn't do anything wrong to lead him in this situation. But pray, he prayed, Lord, give light to my eyes. Help me to see that you've got a greater, you've got a bigger, you've got a more majestic plan. When you pray like that, it turns what looks so hopeless, your feelings of helplessness, you begin to realize and you begin to look through the eyes of God and you realize that your problems, your situations, God will use, remember what we said, God will use your situations, God will use your valleys and he makes them opportunities that he can use. Number three, trust in God's love. He says in verse five through six, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Verses five and six, David has moved through the final stage of trial and testing. He moved through tears in verses one through two to truth in verses three through four. Now he's at triumph in verses five through six. He went from irrational prayer Nothing rational about verses one through two. Nothing rational at all. And there are times in our life when we're irrational like that. He moved from tears. And then he came to truth. He said, Lord, you're my God. You've made me these promises. You promised that you will never leave me nor forsake me. He moved from tears to truth. And now he is at triumph. At the last part of this prayer, he, he's praying, he's praying this, this, this triumphant prayer. He's moved from gloom to gladness. The secret is that he shared his problems with God. He didn't shut up. He didn't go away. He didn't just say, you know what? Uh, to, 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 you know, I, I'm not worried about anything that you all are doing. You've hurt me or, or you've said something about me or God, you're not showing up. So I, I, I'm going to do away with this God thing. No. He kept at it. He kept going with it. He said, God, you've dealt bountifully with me. Look at verse six. I want you to see this. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's do a little English lesson today. You say, I didn't come to church to have an English lesson. Well, this is important. Is this, every sentence in the English language is going to either be past, present, or future, right? Every verb is either past, present, or future. As we read verse six, is this past, present, or future? I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's past tense, right? David is writing in past tense. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Has David's circumstances changed? From verse one to verse six, did did Saul just say, hey, David, I'm just kidding. Come give me a hug, buddy. Had David's David's circumstances changed? Well, no. Saul had not called off the bounty from David's head. Nothing has changed except for David's perspective. Suddenly, he, he has realized that God has not forgotten him, that God has not abandoned him. Even though his situation was the same, his heart is now filled with joy. David has moved from tears to truth to triumph through faith. Faith is a remarkable thing. I I heard about this little four-year-old boy. He was at the doctor for a checkup. The doctor looked into his ears with that little, I don't know what they call it, that little tool, the ear tool. 
you know, that sticks in the ears and shines a light. And the, the doctor looked in that little boy, that little four-year-old boy's ear and said, do you think I want to find Big Bird in here? You know, trying to make conversation. And so this kid wasn't scared and the little boy was silent. Next, the doctor took that, uh, that, 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 uh, uh, oh, the popsicle stick. You know, the popsicle stick, you wish they still had a popsicle on it because it would taste better, but a popsicle stick that makes you gag the, the tongue depressor. Put that tongue depressor in his mouth and said, looked down his throat and said, do you think I'm gonna find Cookie Monster down here? And the boy was just silent. Then the doctor got a stethoscope and put it in his ears and put it up to the little boy's heart. And he said, do you think I'm going to hear Mickey Mouse in your heart? Little boy perked up. Then he said, oh, no, doctor. He said, Jesus is in my heart. Mickey Mouse is on my underwear. (laughs) That's it, though, isn't it? Not that Mickey Mouse is on our underwear, but that Jesus is in our heart. You know, with everything that we've been talking about here today, how do you move from tears to truth to triumph. How is it that you can move from a time of desperation and your circumstances don't change, but yet your perspective can change? How is that? Here today, there are people in this service today that this is a a radical idea to you. And the reason why it's a radical idea is because you don't have Christ living in your heart. Jesus is not there. You're not saved. You don't have a relationship with God. Now, for those of us who do have a relationship with God, you have everything you need already inside you. The God of the universe, the God who created everything, has decided to live inside of you. Mind blown. Mind blown. You mean to tell me that God lives in me? Yeah, he does. His spirit has connected with my spirit and he's made me alive. You know what that means? That means no matter what comes your way, as a believer in Christ, you have within you the spirit of God who reminds you, you've got what you need. You've got the truth living inside you. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. You don't need to worry about that broken relationship. You don't need, listen, bad things happen all the time, but God has given you his spirit. When, when, When I feel like God's a million miles away, I go to certain scriptures in the Bible and I'm reminded I'm reminded of what David was reminded of. Now, I I didn't have some prophet come to me and and break an oil flask over my head and say, you're gonna be the next king of Israel. I I didn't have that. Maybe you did, but I didn't have that. David had that, but I didn't. I would venture to say that you didn't either. But you know what we do have? We've got the word of God. And we can go to the word of God and we can come to verses such as Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians 1.13, that says, In him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Reminding us, reminding us that there's nothing we can do to stop having and experiencing the love of God. We go to verses like 1 Peter chapter 1. 
Verse three, this is blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, has borne us again to not a dead hope, but a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We go to verses like this and we're reminded that my hope's not dead, my hope's alive because we have a living savior. Tell God your problems. Ask God for help. Trust in his love. Here today, if you don't know Christ, the beginning point we're going to have a minister at the head of each of these aisles, and I invite you to come. I'm not going to stick a microphone in your, in your face. I'm not going to parade you up here on stage. But if you don't know Jesus, the Savior and Lord, if he's not living in your heart, as we say as, as to children's ministry, we want to take God's word and show you straight from God's word how you can have a relationship with God. That's where it begins. For those of us in here who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I remind you, I remind you, that no matter what comes your way, no matter the highs or the lows, trust in the Lord. God, give light to my eyes, not so that I see my will done, but Lord, help me to understand, to experience, and to fulfill your will for my life.